0: Hi there, friend. My name is John Werner. I used to be a part of the largest cult in the United States. After studying the Bible, Christian history, and ministry, I set my sights on confronting the problematic nature of white evangelicalism in the United States. In 2019, I published my first book as a first step in addressing the subtle issues of this complex system. This podcast will continue that work under the same title. Welcome to The Cult. Christianity on today's episode I'm super excited because I get to talk to someone I've talked to before I was a guest on a podcast that he co-hosts it's the definitely my favorite podcast episode that I've been a guest on uh, of the three I've done and uh i was a listener beforehand and afterwards uh i highly recommend it we'll plug his podcast later on but please welcome to the show ben how you doing ben
1: hey i'm doing well john thank you for the opportunity
0: yeah man it's uh it's really cool one of the reasons i like your uh i like your podcast is you uh it's called threads and y'all um try to live life unfiltered and uh talk in uh, a very vulnerable fashion and i think you'll do a very good job of it um to but you and i and your co-host are both um christians and uh i was wondering if you could give me maybe like a summary of um i don't know like maybe your first 18 years of your life you obviously don't have to hit every plot point but like what was what was your childhood like and uh how did it relate to either christianity or religion in general
1: Yeah. Um, that's something that I'm spending a lot of time in therapy unpacking is those first 18 years. So, um, from the surface or, or maybe from a, you know, a a 5,000 foot view, it was fairly normal, I guess. Um, born and raised in a very Dutch, um, conservative, uh, politically as, as well as Religiously, uh, area in West Michigan. Um, let's see. Both of my parents, um, were raised in similar settings. So it was kind of this legacy of faith and conservatism, um, that was passed down. And definitely a lot of that pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality and don't make a lot of waves, you know, just, um, put your head down, do the work and enjoy the evenings and weekends. Um, so that was kind of the family environment that I grew up in. Now in that environment, there was not a lot of room for, how do I say it? I guess there were just a lot of things that were swept under the rug as a kid. So for instance, Uh, Anytime that there was a moment of uh, relational drama or stress in our family, um, it wasn't necessarily dealt with. It was more or less, you know, just kind of pull out from that troublesome, sticky situation and um, don't really do anything about it, but just kind of ignore it and let it go away. So that was how I was essentially brought up to, uh, to deal with stress. That's how I was taught. Um, you know, just kind of don't make an issue out of it. Just look the other way, sweep it under the rug, and let things go from there. So um, that's kind of high overview. Um, I can certainly go into a little bit more specifics if you want, but uh, don't want to make this a monologue at the same time.
0: Well, feel free to monologue. I will say that um it sounds very like non confrontational. I'm wondering, uh if well well first off, uh did you were you like a regular attender of church?
1: Absolutely. Yes. So that was something that I think has just been part of our family's legacy for I mean, ever since um the area that I grew up in was settled, um church was Always a very big driving force in life. So, as a child, the expectation was you're at church every Sunday. Uh, And our church growing up had both a morning service and an evening service and midweek activities. So, church was not just a, a Sunday thing, it was several times a week. And I would say, as a child and teenager, a lot of my identity and understanding of who I was um, was shaped and informed by the church, so it was very much a a regular part of my life.
0: So um, that's actually very similar to how I grew up. I I went to church twice on Sunday, and you know whenever the doors were open. Otherwise, um, right? I wonder if um how that affected how you perceived, like, the non-Christian world as a child. And maybe you could compare, like, you know, growing up, how you viewed the non-Christian world versus, like, maybe um, when you ventured into adulthood, how you started perceiving uh the non-Christian yeah,
1: world. Yeah, that's a great question. So, as a child and teenager, really up until my sophomore year of college, I didn't realize it, but I was incredibly sheltered and just had a very limited understanding of what life was like outside of the church. And, you know, societal problems like homelessness, um, I would look at people living on the street and just assume they were bums. And that's kind of the term that, that my friends and I, and even our parents, it was just kind of the term that was used. They're bums. They don't they don't want to have jobs. They just wanna, you know, uh take advantage of everybody else and uh they're bums. Anybody who lives on the street is a bum. And then um I would say there was a definitive fear of people outside of the faith. Uh, one development that happened in my neighborhood growing up was um it was a very rural setting to start. I mean, that's what it was in my early days, but um this area had a connection to the freeway and so there was a lot of traffic and and with a lot of traffic comes the potential for um uh, growth and urban development and things like that. That was almost seen as like work of the devil. The fact that they're putting a 24-hour 7-Eleven in um uh, my parents uh, (laughs) I remember clear to this day, like my, my parents suggested that I keep a baseball bat under my bed because there's a 24 hour 7 Eleven that's open and you never know what kind of filth that's going to attract. And, um, I don't know for a fact if my dad had a gun close to his bed, but I imagine he did. Um, you know, he was a hunter still is, so guns were very much a part of his life. So I can only imagine that he had one close by. Um, so there was a definite fear of those outside of the church and those who didn't have faith. And as far as um, people who had faith, but they weren't part of the Christian faith, it was very much a they're out and we're in and we're, we we Christians are the only right ones and any other faith is an enemy of the truth and we need to convert them and um and all of this and then another aspect that was very rarely talked about was mental health and when it was addressed like um people were referenced as um not being right in the head and That would be a cause for us as Christians to keep our distance and, um, or pray it away. You know, I grew up in a, uh, for the first formative years of my life, they were spent in a charismatic setting. And there were many times that, uh, opportunities for prayer were offered. And so mental health issues, the, the way you deal with those is you cast out the demon of depression or whatever the case may be. Um, so it was such a wild world that I lived in um and it was sheltering like I I was told to keep my distance from worldly things so my entire music collection I still have a bunch of the CDs was all basically christian rip-offs of whatever was popular in that time uh I'm really frustrated by that because I feel like I missed out on a lot of good music that I would have really enjoyed as a kid. But um, being in a Christian family, secular music was frowned upon uh, just like anything outside of the church was frowned upon. Um, Something else that comes to mind is I was looking for work and one of my friends at school had said that Burger King was hiring. So I was pretty stoked because... I'll work with a friend. That'll be pretty sweet. And so I get home and tell my parents that I want to apply at Burger King. And they're like, no, you're not going to do that. I was like, well, what do you mean? They're like, you're not going to work with those people. And I just said, who are those people? And they they couldn't give me a good definitive answer. They just repeated the line again. We don't want you working with those people. We don't want you around those people. and they couldn't provide any further detail about who those people were. It was just kind of this, they're outside of our circle. They're those people. Um, so that was always just a very weird thing. You know, you, you were either in or you were out. And if you were out, you were feared, um, misunderstood, um, I have a lot of heartache for the way I grew up Uh, for some of the people that I know that I I treated poorly simply because that's how I was taught and raised to do. So, um, yeah, that's how I would summarize my experience growing up in the church. Um, And there's a, a running joke on my podcast, the Threads podcast, Life Unfiltered, uh my co-host jason will reference some sort of pulp pop culture thing whether it's a band or a comedian or a movie and i'll just look at him with a blank stare on my face like i don't know what the hell you're talking about i clearly i missed that one uh and again it just goes back to the fact that i was super sheltered and didn't have a whole lot of exposure to things outside of the church
0: two quick uh two quick follow-ups um first one's pretty big so i'll go ahead and and just do that one uh so, I, so you, this is in western michigan correct yes yep so not to stereotype any part of the country do you feel like part of those us versus them language had any like racial implications too
1: Absolutely. Um growing up, my entire circle was white with the exception of a couple adopted kids. Um, But again, it wasn't until sophomore year of college, and I can go into more detail on what was so revolutionary about that year. Uh, But up until that point, my entire circle, everything I knew of life was white people. Um, And there was a mentality. I don't know if it was ever spoken, but at least in practice and in the way we lived our lives as a family uh, very rarely did we go out of our way to have any interaction with people who didn't look like us
0: yeah so that's certainly uh, a type of sheltering that is is partially like circumstantial just like part of the country you live in part of the um unfortunate history of um the US uh so I'm not going to throw that all on Christians. Um but I will wonder if um uh so so you're talking about like perceiving um you know you're becoming an adult there's a, this event that happens in sophomore college um and maybe this will tie to that event. So if you can tie these two together, go for it. But whatever happens sophomore year, there was a shift at one point because you are technically ordained, correct? I am. Yep. So, so, you were interested in ministry at least, right? oh gosh, yes, and that's
1: you know that's part of my story that I'd gladly unpack more of because I think it's very relevant to what we're talking about now, um, but I think we can go a little bit deeper a bit later
0: okay, cool so so, what was the big event then in college that made you realize, oh my goodness, I lived a very sheltered childhood.
1: <laughs> it was the first time that I set foot on an airplane. And so the story goes, I was, um, and again, I'll, I'll get to more details and unpack this a little bit later, but I'll start by saying that in high school and freshman, sophomore year of college, I was very, Committed to this idea of becoming a professional youth speaker, and you know it had been prophesied and spoken over my life from a very young age that that was the type of work that I was going to do and so because these men who claimed to be filled with the Holy Spirit were prophesying and saying these things about uh, about me, I grew up with a very real pressure to fulfill those prophecies. And because of that, I went to a Christian college to pursue um, youth ministry. And, and, you know, and I I finished that program and, you know, stepped through all the hoops and was ordained. Uh, But my sophomore year of college, I don't know what it was, but there was just a growing itch inside of me to experience parts of the world that I had not yet experienced. Um, within the previous year, my freshman year of college, I actually met my wife. Uh, we at the time were working in the same youth group. Um, and as I got to know her and learned more about her background and experience, some of the things that she was into, like there was just a a very present sense of, um, I guess you could call it FOMO, that fear of missing out. I felt like my experience was so lacking up until that point. So it's the summer between freshman and sophomore year. Um, I think that's the timeline. That's irrelevant. But Suffice it to say, I'm just really sensing that I need to get out and experience more of the world because I don't have a clue. So I stumbled upon um, an organization called the Center for Student Missions. And this is an organization that has chapters all over the country. And basically, college students come in and they can do their internship by leading um, service or mission trips or whatever you want to call them in these urban cities across America. So I went to the nearest site and had my interview and learned that the Chicago site was already full. They didn't have any need for any more college students to help during that summer. But then they said, but our chapter in Los Angeles, they are still looking for people. Would you be interested? And so this is in 2004. And so I, being the super energetic, I'm going to save the world, um, super youth speaker, like I even had a a domain for myself, BenCrocker.com. And if you ever want to to see something quite comical, hop on the Wayback Machine. I think that's what it's called. You can can use that to go and pull up previous versions of any domain, including BenCrocker.com. So... Um, so I had a website, and my email address tied to that domain name was youthspeaker at bencrocker.com. So I was again very full of myself, very committed to this idea of being the fulfillment of what those men had spoken over my life. Um, ultimately it brought me to that point, and so did the desire for something different. So it's like those two things collided, and I applied, and was accepted to serve in Los Angeles. And that is the year, the summer that broke me. Um, So imagine sheltered Ben, who grew up in this very tight Christian circle, is now in inner city Los Angeles, living in a known gang territory, our housing unit um, several times per night would have police helicopters flying over it. Um, you know, I would go and sit on the roof at night and just think, where the hell am I? What is this? What have I gotten myself into? And, you know, I had a, a mentor, a professor who I, I think I called him daily. <laughs> the first couple of weeks I was out there, it was going from one end of the spectrum to the complete opposite. Like there was no in between. It was just worlds different. So here I am. All I've known up until this point is the sheltered Christian life. And I'm now put in this position where I'm living in inner city Los Angeles. And the first three weeks of my time there, uh, the whole idea was for us to get acclimated to the city that we were serving in so that we could take students on um on the, on these mission trips and feel comfortable leading them in the city so the 3 weeks that led up to that we went to um uh, we went to a church service at a black church and <laughs> that was the first time i had ever seen that many black people together in a church and during his sermon, the pastor referenced politics. And he said something along the lines of, uh, I vote Democrat and like my spine just tingled up. I'm like, wait, what? And so on the way home or back to our housing unit, um, the guy I rode with, who was a, a fellow host in this program, I said to him, I didn't know that there were Christians who were Democrats. And he and he was from California, and he kind of just looked at me with, with a deer-in-headlights look on his face, and he's like, wait, are you serious? I was like, well, yeah. All my life, Christians have always been Republicans. And he just kind of pauses and hesitates for a minute. I could tell he wants to say something, but he's having trouble finding the words. And finally, he just says it. He says, Ben. I'm a Christian and a Democrat. We exist. And there's a lot of us. And I was just dumbfounded by that. So, and over the course of that summer, experiencing things like Skid Row and seeing the abject poverty that people live in, I could no longer accept the fact that these are just people who are bums and they don't want to work and they don't want to do this or that. My entire idea and understanding of people outside of the church was so off base and I was broken, so broken during that three weeks span of time As I'm walking the streets and I'm seeing the homelessness and then um, as I'm seeing the mental illness that goes along with it, and as I'm seeing and learning about things like systemic racism and white flight and how, um, how so many churches in the Los Angeles area, as soon as the freeways were built, they relocated to suburban areas and left just holes in the city and Um, And then learning that it's like that in a lot of areas throughout the country, like that summer just truly crushed me. And I just had to come to terms very quickly with the fact that my life up until that point, there was so much I was missing out on, so much. And it was that summer that really started something in me instead of being so focused and wrapped up on fulfilling this crazy prophecy that was spoken over me by these men who claim to be full of the spirit. Instead of trying to uh, live up to this idea of being a youth speaker and a famous one. And like all these things that I thought were important. Oh, I realized that it was just a sham. And my life up until that point was so focused on me, which is so contrary to my, um, to my faith. I mean, Christianity is supposed to be based on Jesus, who, at least according to my understanding, had a love for everybody and served and was the least selfish person i can think of and yet somehow those who followed him in the church setting that i grew up in tolerated looking the other way and they and they tolerated the fact that they really weren't super concerned with social justice issues they were more concerned with who's in and who's out and seeing the world from a very narrow perspective. Um, so that summer crushed me.
0: It it almost seems like some sort of cognitive dissonance, right? Where it's like, how can we say these kind of things, um, you know, in church about loving everyone? And then when your <laughs> earth kind of gets shattered and you look around and you're like, wait a second, it doesn't look like we're doing any of the things we say we're supposed to be doing um yeah that's really that's really um i'm sure uh stressful and 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 uh crisis inducing um i wonder if um i'm just kind of curious do you think that like sheltering was um how intentional do you think it was do you think it was just like kind of in keeping with tradition this is the way we do things or do you think they were like hiding the world from you do you wrestle with that question still
1: I definitely do. You know, my initial response would be they did exactly what was passed on to them by their parents. And, um, but you know, there's a lot that I'm unpacking and, you know, there was a lot of mental health issues that were brought up, you know, and there were a lot of relational issues that were brought up by both me and at least one of my siblings, if not both of them. Um, In respect for them, I won't go into a terrible amount of detail, but one of my siblings was at the point of being suicidal, and my parents' way of handling that was taking him to a professional basketball game, as if that would just somehow cure that. So, So there was certainly a level of my parents did what they knew how to do, and they learned that from their parents and my grandparents' parents. I mean, you could stretch it all the way back to when um, both sides of my family emigrated to America. I think it's just the way they did things, and it was passed down generation after generation. But at the same time, I know for a fact that there were times where I confronted my parents, or or at least brought things up to them, and they never adequately explained or answered or gave the the level of insight that I was after. And that was a very crushing experience. So I would say it was both. You know, they did their best, but when given opportunities to do it different, they didn't.
0: Yeah. Well, Ben, I do want to say, like, breaking toxic cycles is a very brave move and I can tell you're uh you are ending a line of um toxicity just by you being who you are. I, um, so when was the last time you were involved in any kind of ministry?
1: Well, I, I am now, but it looks very different from what it did when I first started or when I first wanted to get into ministry. Um, right now I love the ministry that I do. I work with the, we call them life groups at our church. Every church has a different name. It's basically, Smaller segments of the church body they meet for purposes of bible study uh, relationship building um, social justice issues, whatever the case may be. so my ministry now is uh, basically working with the life group leaders, ensuring they have the resources they need to be successful, um, kind of being a pastor to them and just you know really um, you know it it's very difficult to fill somebody else's cup if your cup is just empty. Uh, So I see my role as pouring into these leaders so that they can pour into the people in their group. Um, Now, I I don't get paid for that. I don't ever want to be paid for it. Quite frankly, I don't think ministry should ever generate an income
0: you and I agree on this, uh, yeah. That, that that specific point. I, I was actually going to bring that up because you mentioned. I think when I was on your podcast, you said that you don't want your paycheck to ever depend on ministry. Yeah, and that's a and that's like an actual conscious statement. That's not just simple burnout. Like that's something you believe is like a moral choice.
1: It is a hundred hundred percent. Now, if somebody wants to bless me or. As a response to me doing something, and they want to offer some sort of finance, whatever, I'm not going to turn it down, but I'm not going to go into ministry with the expectation that you're going to pay me with money for this work that I'm doing. Um, it's counterintuitive in my mind. Um, as a Christian, I, I firmly believe that my allegiance to Christ and his kingdom comes before anything else. So why would I accept payment for something that um that I'm doing as a response to what's been done for me? Like I don't need to be paid for it. Um I find greater satisfaction in making a difference in people's life and letting that be enough. Like I don't need a paycheck. I don't need to be compensated, you know? Um I think it's a very toxic thing because once money enters the picture, whoever's giving that money feels as if they have the ability to dictate how you go about doing the work that they're paying you for. And that's where things get really messy. Um, And that was certainly the case in my experience.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's countless stories of, um, you know, the rich people in the church controlling um the entire church basically because they have the biggest uh pocketbooks and clearly that's not um an ideal situation uh for anyone the the faithful or in the faithless um so do you not really have any desire to ever do like full-time ministry like i, I understand the life group is still minor like like life groups are you know it's like a it's a smaller section of a church right so it's this idea of um kind of mini community communities that are small enough that you can actually get to know each other right is the idea um but you know you i actually while you were talking did go on the wayback machine and kind of looked at your old website uh and uh yeah definitely entertaining to look through um (laughs) but uh i i'm wondering if like you know you still do you still have any desire to like kind of like I don't know, even if it's just a daydream every now and then do something like bigger in ministry at all?
1: No, I don't think so. Um, I'm pretty content with where I'm at now as far as what I do for work. Um, I work in sales and I I work for an IT company right now. Um, And I love that having that job affords me the ability to do things outside of work, like being the life group leader. Um, so after my very toxic experience serving full-time and depending on that paycheck from the church, um, I can't ever go back. It's it's not even something that I desire or want. Um, I think a lot of church in America is done very poorly. And one of the 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 things that stands out to me the most, one of the biggest failings that I see with the church in America is the fact that there's experts somehow and that there's these mega church pastors. And it's like the select few pastors do the bulk of the work. And my understanding based on how I'm reading and interpreting scripture is that's not a, not, not, That's not at all what Jesus had in mind when he established the church. Like he took common folk, the disciples, and told them to go and make more disciples. And it wasn't like this, uh, we're better than you crowd of, you know, the elite pastors. No, it was the common folk. And that was the most amazing thing about the early church is, you know, Jesus took and invited these normal men and really changed the world. Whether you're a believer in Christ and Christianity or not, um, the fact that he still talked about 2,000 years after he walked the earth, I mean, think what you want to think about Jesus, but the fact that he's still a present figure is pretty revolutionary. Um, and he didn't accomplish that with a megachurch. He didn't accomplish that with you know, titles and prosperity and everything else that the American church is getting wrong. He did it with common folk, and so that's what attracts me to the church: is the fact that an IT salesman can be in this role of encouraging life group leaders and developing community and rallying around a cause and um, and seeing growth happen. Like that sounds a hell of a lot more attractive to me than being in a very isolating position as a church staff member and being put on that pedestal like it's just awful i i couldn't ever go back
0: yeah i i think you and i feel pretty similar on a lot of what you just said um including the fact that i'm actually uh you know i'm pretty loud and proud against uh evangelicalism but i am not uh particularly anti-jesus um and i think that's uh actually a pretty easy distinction to make because as you were saying uh Jesus's style of ministry looks very different than the American church um if you know maybe 5 minutes or less if you can uh it's a big question but go any way you want with it um what does being a christian mean to you now um first of
1: all i really I struggle with the word Christian, to be honest, because there's so much that's wrapped up in that. So I think the best way that I can explain what a Christian is to me is to explain what it's not. <laughs> um, in our world, especially here in our our American context, the word Christian ha- has become synonymous with uh, nationalism. With um with Republican ideologies, with conservatism and all these different things. Like you you think Christian and in America, stereotypically, the thought that comes to mind is somebody who's white and somebody who is probably a Trump supporter. Um they're probably very conservative leaning they're known more about the things they're they're known for the things they're against whether that's abortion or anything else um and generally they're seen as obnoxious and um not really somewhat something that pe- people want to be affiliated with so to me that's what i think of when i hear the word christian um and that's why i don't like that term. But to answer your question, um, I think a better word would be a follower of Jesus. And what does that look like for me? Pretty simple, looking at the example of Jesus based on the historical texts and other data that we have, and seeking to embody those things. Um It's being a citizen, not just of America, but being a citizen of heaven. And this new church that my family joined within the last year has just been so revolutionary for me. I think it was one of the first Sundays we attended. Like the pastor essentially was, I think it was almost, it was close to uh, either Independence Day or Memorial Day. I can't remember specifically which day, Um, but the pastor was really making a case for the fact that so much of the church and Christianity is so closely tied to politics and so wrapped up in earthly concerns. And he contrasted that with this radical idea that if we are going to identify as Christ followers, then that changes our allegiance and we don't see ourselves as citizens of America, but rather we see ourselves as citizens of heaven and we're here on earth as ambassadors doing the business of heaven, doing the business of, of what Christ called us to. And that comes first and foremost uh, as primary um and our, Any political affiliation or anything else falls secondary to that. And so lived out, that looks like doing the things Jesus called us to, loving one another, feeding the sick, uh, giving clothes to those who are naked, being peacemakers, turning the other cheek, putting others before ourselves, laying our lives down. So in short, that's what being a Christian means to me what it what it looks like to me it's and the, it's saddening and very discouraging how something so beautiful as that has been twisted and turned into the common understanding of the word christian in america today
0: well it's it's kind of funny because the you know Uh, the early Christians did not call themselves Christians. They were called Christians as an insult. Like it was like, oh, you little Christ, you know, by um, their detractors. And it's kind of funny because that's like how a lot of um, uh, Christians now who are more of the, you know, progressive um, variety, or at least the ones who care about social justice, the ones who um, seem to want to actually uh, follow Jesus's example a little more directly, uh they seem to uh see christian as an insult kind of like you do um and uh yeah you know the original idea of um christianity was following the way you know um maybe you've seen a church called the way like that's that's where that comes from um that's cool you know i don't i don't really have much beef with that right um I will say like, you know, it's a little bit more than following the example when you start getting into citizenship of heaven, because that sounds kind of like, well, that, that I would assume that means the, the, uh, that pred- that's predicated on the belief that Jesus was God, you know, um, and not like a mere man, uh, and some like, you know, basic Orthodox Christian things, I guess you would say, um, so, so, so you're, so you're Orthodox Christian, but maybe not evangelical. Like, may, is, is that maybe a fine hair to split?
1: It is definitely. I, I'm comfortable with Orthodox. Um, I feel like the evangelical movement has made this idea of becoming a Christian, it's twisted it into the idea that it's something that you it's like a switch that you just turn on like you can just pray this magical prayer and all of a sudden your sins are forgiven and you're going to heaven but the way i see it being a christian is definitely predicated on belief like that's a huge that's like the foundation um i saw a meme or a tiktok i don't even remember who it was but the basic idea was um christianity is not just about like praying the right prayer, saying the right things, um, saying no to the, to the wrong things. Um, no Christianity should be seen as the orientation of your heart. Uh, are you orienting yourself towards the cross? Are you orient and are you orienting yourself towards, um, orthodoxy, I guess. Um, but it's, it's, I'm doing a terrible job of summarizing this video that I saw, but uh, perhaps I can pull it up and send it to you. But um, it was just a like I wanted to just stand up and shout, yes, that's what it is. Um, It's so much less about this emotional at the end of the church service altar call where people are emotionally manipulated to go and, quote, give their lives to Jesus uh, and be forgiven of their sins. Like it's, it's, it's less of that and more of orienting our hearts, pointing, um, the things it's, it's changing the things that are valuable to us, right? Like it's letting go of, of selfishness. It's letting go of putting myself at the center of life and instead orienting my life on Jesus and following in his footsteps and doing the things he instructed me to do and and not only is it me that's orienting my heart towards Jesus and towards the cross and to the risen christ and and the hope that's found there but i'm I'm doing that in the company of people in my life groups, you know people at church um I'm doing that in the company of Jason who I host my podcast with um I'm doing that in the company of my family, and it's like we're all choosing to orient and point ourselves to Jesus. And it's like the true north. Um, you know, we're, we're choosing to follow in that direction. And that's what I think Christianity is supposed to be. And that was the original intent. But somewhere along the line, things just got very convoluted. And that very simple idea of just orienting one's life in that direction, there were so many hoops that were added on to it. There were so many um, baggage and just so much that was put in that path. It, it, In my mind, it's a very simple path, and it's a path you choose to walk daily. But I think Christians have really made it far more complicated than than it needs to be.
0: Well, Christianity as kind of like a, a a Romans twelve lifestyle, right, is kind of what you're describing as a um more so like yeah, following in the example of Jesus and and being actually concerned with the real tangible life in front of you more than just like different theological uh, pontifications by the hierarchies of established churches. Um, uh, so so. You and I have both uh, came from maybe, you know, somewhat sheltered backgrounds and and grew up in this um, kind of odd Christian world just based on, um, you know, the era and uh, uh, the era of white evangelicalism in the U.S. And um, that's bound to create some trust issues that you, you know, are going to have to, you know, you and I seek therapy for. Um, (laughs) I'm wondering, you know, you know. Trust issues, everybody's got them, right? Like, uh, trust in itself is always a risk. You know, nothing is guaranteed in our relationships or our life stories, even. Um, You know, new information, more wisdom, and circumstantial situations affect our worldviews and our actions. You know, the more data we gather as we live, the diff we behave differently accordingly, right? Um, And this might be what makes trusting what we can see difficult and perhaps it's what makes it even harder to trust the unseen um you know more more conceptual type thinking uh so do you personally like have trouble in general trusting like the knowable tangible relationships or or um you know uh physical things in front of you or the unknowable do you have more issues um trusting things that you can't see
1: that's a really good question um I guess my knee-jerk reaction to that would be, uh, and it's not entirely to your point, but we'll get there eventually, I think. I have a harder time trusting, quote, Christians than people who don't have any faith. Um, Like, it's easier for me to take somebody at their word if their faith is not, like, front and center. Uh, It's almost as if because of my experience growing up and because of being sheltered, it's, it's difficult for me. I definitely have a chip on my shoulder. um, When I see people who hold the title of Christian so strongly, it's harder for me to trust them than it would be somebody who doesn't have faith at all. Um, Does that make sense?
0: It totally makes sense. I I think it's interesting you say that because, you know, trust is hard to earn, but easy to break, right? Like, it can take years to build trust with someone and literally seconds to break that trust. Um, And restoring your own trustworthiness after you fail is like incredibly challenging, Um, you know, even to trust yourself or to get other people to trust you and figuring out you know, in your relationships, what to forgive, what to forget, what to throw, you know, what relationships to just throw away. Um, That's an excruciating process in life. It's probably one of the hardest things we have to deal with as humans. Um, I don't know. Do, Do you find yourself having to like build trust with people or break trust with people like more often in your life?
1: Again, I, for the dichotomy between those of faith and those not of faith is very present there as I think about that question as well, um, you know, there was a season in my life and I think I'm slowly exiting that season. Um, but I would say after that summer in Los Angeles, that really broke me and reshaped me. There were a lot of people that I had to distance myself from and, and maybe even break trust with, um, because, this new way of living that I found myself in, this new way of thinking and seeing the world was far more valuable to me than trying to maintain a level of trust or relationship with people who were not open to seeing things differently than what they had grown up with or what they had grown accustomed to. So there was certainly a a period in my Life, um, and it's becoming less and less now, but where I really had a very difficult time, um, trusting people. Um, uh, and a lot of that was due to the pain that I
0: experienced
1: at the hands of the church. So, um,
0: that's interesting you say that because, like, communities do rise and fall on this idea of trust. Um, like, there are countless examples of communities collectively, you know, grieving, disturbing, or disappointing news from, you know, their leaders or any figure. I mean, when when figures are given authority and they fail, the community can fall or the community can rise in support of that figure, right? Um and, and this happens with celebrities, politicians, and pastors and and you know, just like your general friend groups and like smaller little institutions, like this idea of a group um you know rising to the task of trusting or not being able to trust someone anymore. um i I'm sure you have if you've been in church as many churches as I have uh and it doesn't have to be church. It could be a different community, but have you ever felt like betrayed by a leader of a community?
1: Oh, 100%. Um, It honestly is a lot of the reason why I left that world of, you know, (laughs) I guess really I left the very thing I went to school for and had centered my life around, you know, was being in full-time ministry. I left that because of an experience at a church that was so horrible and there were significant, um, trust issues that transpired during that time. Um, that's a loaded question. So the, the senior pastor that I was working under, um, and I don't want to, I'm going to make a very valiant effort to not talk negatively about this individual because he and I have, we've, we've chosen to forgive and move on. And that was something that happened, I would say about three years ago. Um, this church is in Oregon and that's where I, um, again, wanting something new and different for my wife and I, I accepted a position as a youth pastor out at a church in Oregon. Um, that church was amazing, great experience, but it was a small rural church and they ran out of money and couldn't afford me. Um, And then I ended up at the second church where all hell broke loose in so many different ways. And since that experience, I just want to say it from the beginning, I've talked things out with the pastor and I at least have an understanding of where he was on an emotional and mental health level and where I was. And it's no surprise that we clashed so badly. So I will share my story but I want to say from, from the outset that I don't hold any ill will towards this individual. I share the story because I think there's a lot that can be learned from it and it's helpful for the context of understanding my story. Um, but in this church I was I found myself in a situation where there were so many unwritten expectations to how I should be going about my job. And there were several influential families who donated lots to the church budget and felt as if they had the power to sway or determine how the youth youth pastor does his job. And I have always been, okay, maybe not always, but since Los Angeles, I've been very uh, committed to being outside of the box. And that was welcomed and celebrated in the first church that I served at. In fact, to this day, you know, 14, 15 years later, I'm still in touch with a number of of students who are now adults and having families of their own. And gosh, the, the experiences we had were so phenomenal. And they reach out to me on a regular basis, and I'm still a part of their life. That was a situation where things went very well because I was trusted to do my job and to do the work that I was called to do and to do it in a way that I was that I felt was the right way for me and for the youth I was leading in the second church that I served in I didn't have that autonomy I was essentially handed um a list of things but that list wasn't written it was a, It was almost as if it was written over time, or it was unwritten, and I just stumbled on it by accident. And so the pastor and these families all had these very different ideas of what youth ministry should look like in their church context, and I was not willing to budge. I really was convinced, and to this day, to a certain degree... I really believe in the work that I was trying to accomplish in that church. But there were those who just vehemently disagreed and saw my ministry and my time there as highly ineffective because their kids didn't like going to youth group. And so the select few were given a voice that was very strong. And because the pastor's kids were part of that, it was like they had zero trust in me at that point. I had broken their trust because I chose to stick to my guns and, and do the youth group the way I felt I was being called and directed to do it. And so that, you know, very quickly came to a head with the senior pastor and um, in a two year span of time, Uh, the first year was okay. I think we were just getting to know each other, but the second year was horrible. Um, I felt second guessed. I felt, um, as if every part of my life was under the microscope, uh, because their kids didn't like youth group. It's just so funny to even say it that way, but that's very much what the experience was. Um, You know, there were other kids who were a part of the youth group that came from other churches or didn't have a church and they came with friends and so many great things were happening. And it was like, nobody in the church that had an opinion that mattered saw that they only chose to see what they wanted to see. And that was Ben's not doing his job the way we want him to. So that all kind of came to a head and This is the biggest trust trust issue that I experienced. We were in a meeting with the pastor and a couple of board members and things had come to a head. It was ugly, but at least things were on the table, expectations, everything else. It's all on the table. We're all looking at the ugliness and talking about it. And one of the board members says to the pastor, are you willing to work this out with Ben? Now that we've got this all out on the table can we structure a way forward? And with a great deal of thought and awkward pause, he responded that, yes, I'm willing to reconcile differences and find a way to make this work. I'm committed to Ben. And in that moment, (laughs) it's probably foolish. Now knowing what I, you know, know, after that experience, it was silly of me to do this, but in that meeting, I let out a sigh of relief. It was like, oh, okay, pressure's off. He's going to give this a second chance. He's going to work this out. We're going to find a way to move forward. So I was just breathing a collective sigh of relief. The very next day, there was a board meeting, and... um I knew this board meeting was happening and I knew that I was going to be asked to leave and not be present for this board meeting because they were going to talk about all of the things that had led up to that conversation the day before. Now I was under the impression that the pastor had my back and that he was going to say to the board members, the rest of the board that uh, Ben and I are committed to making this work, just like he had told me the day before. Well, as you can imagine, that didn't happen. In fact, what happened was one of the most toxic things that I can think of that I've seen in a church happen uh, as as far as a leadership level. The board members, the commoners, you know, as I was talking about from the Bible, those who like the early disciples, these guys, um, they were all guys. That's another story for another time. Uh, I think there should have been some female representation in there, but I digress. So these guys who had been tasked with lead- being leaders in the church uh, on a volunteer basis, they worked their own day jobs. Um, instead of you know really living into that role, they just shrugged off any sort of responsibility and told the senior pastor, We will support you in whatever you want to do. So there was no, like, let's talk about this. Let's continue the conversation you had with Ben yesterday. And then somehow, some way, I'll never understand why or how, but the senior pastor said, well, okay, in in that case, i want Ben gone is I'm, I'm summarizing it. that's probably not how it was said, but that was the final outcome. So I get a phone call that night at 10 o'clock. You need to come to the church. And I was like, oh, I knew exactly why I was going to the church. Why else would I go to the church at 10 o'clock at night? So I go and walk in and the chairman of the board is standing in the entryway. He's anxious as what and pacing. And he's like, hey, Ben, I need you to come into pastor's office. Whew. and um, so I did, and I sat down, and um, the pastor remained silent pretty much this whole time, and the chairman of the board basically looks over at me and says, "Ben, we've decided that we're going to ask for your resignation," which in the Christian church world is code for "you're fired," and in that moment. Ooh, talk about broken trust. I was furious, livid, probably as angry as I've ever felt. And I just stood up. (laughs) I wanted to hit somebody or hit something, but I didn't. Instead, I just stood up and just angrily said, well, there's nothing more to be said, so I'm leaving. So I just stormed out and that was that. Um, I didn't stay for any dialogue. I I didn't want to, I mean, I I'm in a room with somebody who in the very same room that 24 hours ago told me he was committed to restoration. Can't even talk to me in this moment. And instead the chairman of the board does the dirty work of telling me that I'm fired. So yeah, I've been, (laughs) I've been hurt. By the church. I've been, there's, there's, I, I think that's the pr- principal reason why it's so difficult for me to trust Christians is that moment. It was devastating.
0: You were lied to. And, and not only were you lied to, I mean, not to play therapist, but like connecting some dots, you know, you're telling me your story. You grow up in a non confrontational home. You, try to break away from that and change the cycle and then here you are dealing with a pastor who's not confrontational enough to say what he's actually thinking right
1: precisely
0: and so like how could you not like you know (laughs) like feel like you know two feet tall um and like you you don't matter and And frankly, it's really common, you know, you brought up like the pastor's kids being like some of the the driving force and and all that politicking, man, it just gets really, really stressful. Um, You know, I I worked in several different churches and honestly had, I don't think I had one single healthy dynamic with me and a pastor, even the ones I liked and, you know, got along with. It was just like, at the end of the day, no matter how many like um, policies were in place, no matter what how they structured their accountability, you know, however they wanted to frame it at the end of the day, what the pastor said went and oh, without a doubt. And it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, and, and totally, um, anger inducing. And I think that's a completely valid feeling. Um, kudos to you for being able to bury the hatchet with someone. I'm the type of person who once I'm bitter, I'm bitter. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'll drink that poison, uh, all day long. And I, I have no desire to, uh, to have any, um, I don't know, restoration with people who have burned me that bad. Um, But, but I will say um, it's interesting. We're talking about this trust, these, these trust issues. And it, and it's funny because the word, you know, trust and the word faith like are somewhat related. Uh, I don't know if you had any like philosophy classes in school or anything, but you know, one of the, one of the classic um, uh, philosophy quandaries is, you know, faith and reason, right? Like faith is either beyond or contained in reason. It, uh, which which comes first, you know, um, and, uh, you know, you know, the the question goes, do we make our faith, our, our faith reasonable or do we decide our faith based on like, re, you know, reasonable deductions? Um, so like, are we like believing something and then finding reasons for it? Or are we, you know, seeing a bunch of reasons to believe something and believing it? And there might not be a right answer, right? It might just be one of those questions that's kind of stupid and just makes you think in circles. Um, but my my typical predisposition is just to believe, you know that that people typically just believe whatever they want, regardless of um, you know what reasons they're presented. Uh, but that's pretty cynical of me to think that way. Do you have any um like opinions on this topic? I think I'm with you in a lot of ways. For example
1: this okay so context my wife and i are adoptive parents and one of our kids is black and we live in a in a country where the racial landscape is just appalling um between the amount of systemic racism that exists and yet so many people want to just christians included people who just want to pretend it's not there um I have major trust trust issues with, like, even the justice system comes to mind. Earlier this week, Derek Chauvin was convicted on all three counts against him uh, in the murder of George Floyd. And here's what saddens me about that. The entire evidence, everything you needed for a conviction was there. But I'm angered by the fact that I couldn't put trust in our in our court system to do the right thing. Like it's appalling to me that there was this collective sense of just anxiety and question and doubt and genuine fear that the right thing would not come to be like the fact that it was even up for discussion just blows me away. So, you have evidence, you have all, it's documented on video from multi, multiple perspectives. You've got the uh, coroner's report and all these things. It's like you've got the hard data. How could you not arrive at the conclusion that Derek Chauvin is guilty? So, that comes to mind as something that you would think that if people are given. That kind of um, evidence and everything else, I would hope they would make the right decision, but they don't, you know, people are stupid, myself included at times, even given, you know, copious amounts of information, um, people still are impulsive and they act on impulse. They, they act on emotion and those things cloud the very things that should be trusted. So I too have a very difficult time trusting people even when they've been provided with everything they need to uh come to a certain conclusion.
0: Yeah, the term's almost like willful ignorance, right? Like it, it's like you have the data and you're just purposely ignoring it. Um and yeah, I mean that that example. Yeah, there's still people even after the court case, like trying to defend a dude, uh, who who murdered another dude in front of all of us. Like we saw it, you know. And it, it's there's nothing to argue. Um, you know, they're like, oh, he might have had fentanyl in his system. It's like, who care? Like, frankly, who cares? I don't. He he didn't. But like, frankly, like who cares? And it's and it's one of those things where it it just kind of um, yeah that that's kind of a cynical um uh way to look at it you could also say that people are misinformed right like maybe they are being reasonable and they just have the wrong information maybe their facebook algorithm just sucks um you know and so like i think that's where the tension in that question is and and i think it's funny because if if we try to like i don't know splice these terms you know trust versus faith a little more like you know trust can be based on reason or faith i guess or some sort of weird combination because you can Find someone trustworthy, then actively choose to believe that they will be you know good for you or tell you the truth, or you can trust someone regardless of the evidence put per- forth sometimes that's a mistake, but i don 't know when when you've been when when you trust people, do you feel like it's a more reasonable and thought out choice to trust people, or do you kind of trust your gut more?
1: You know I think my first instinct is to go with my gut. Because very rarely has my gut been off. But in order to have a gut feeling that's correct, I need to be informed. So I feel like it's both. Um, But I think the the actual in-the-moment decision, I don't think back to, oh, I read this on that date and processed this piece of information and that's influencing me to make this choice. It's more of, okay, in this moment, based on how I'm feeling, how I'm showing up and arriving in this situation, I'm either choosing to trust this person or I'm not. It's not like a mental game I go through. It's very much gut level, but it's an informed gut level because um, part of how I approach the world and interact with the world is I'm eternally curious and... I'm going to do my homework and I'm going to be informed and I'm going to look at various sources of information so that it's not just one side influencing me. So um, I would say in general, I do as much as I can to be informed. And and then in the moment, I react on a gut basis, but that gut is um, informed by the research and everything else that I've done, um, you know, leading up to that
0: that that makes sense i i think i might operate somewhat similar i certainly am more likely to um i don't know just uh i don't i i I have a bad habit of um maybe putting too i wouldn't even say too much trust in people but maybe the wrong kind of trust in the wrong kinds Hmm. of people you know maybe trusting certain people with information that should be reserved for you know uh a closer friends or, or people who have already proven their trustworthiness and not assume that, you know, every new friendship I form is going to be, um, healthy if I, if I establish some form of trust, you know, um, sure. you know, one thing that uh, has been brought to my attention, you know, I'm a divorced guy and, uh, I'll go out on like a little date here and there. And, uh, multiple people have brought up to me, they're like, you know, you don't have to mention you're divorced on the first date. Uh, and that's weird because I'm like, well, but like, then I'm lying, aren't I? And they're like, no, they're like, I mean, if it comes up, it comes up. But like, is that how you see yourself? Is that your identity that you're just a divorced person and you always will be? And I'm like, well, no. And they're like, so you don't have to bring it up. And that's one of those weird things that you just kind of have to balance, um, your own vulnerability with, um, establishing a relationship. Oh, yeah look you could buy my book you wanna buy my book go buy my book go to vernerbooks.com yeah yeah go to vernerbooks.com yeah yeah go buy my book and buy my book if you go to vernerbooks.com you can buy my book you can buy my book yeah the cults of christianity exclusively available on amazon You can search the cult of Christianity. Our churches control, contain, and convert by John Burner. Or you can go to BurnerBooks.com. You can go to BurnerBooks.com. Go to BurnerBooks.com. Buy my book. Buy my book. Buy my book. You know, trust can be naive. We know that Um, because sometimes people put trust in ideas, communities, or figures that they should not. one recent president comes to mind um and everyone does this uh, like there is no shame in it it's something we as humans do we trust people we shouldn't however repeatedly trusting in something you shouldn't is definitely unhealthy and yes. uh potentially causes harm to more than just yourself uh, do do you agree with me that that's pretty common
1: absolutely um and i'm again thinking of this in my context of my experience so I mentioned a little bit about the pastors and evangelists and whatever else that at this charismatic church spoke things over me. Um I trusted them and I sought to live my life in accordance with their words about what my future was going to be like. Um and I I trusted them without while I was a child so I couldn't really process through it and um you know, a lot, a big part of me wonders why my parents took them at their word. Why didn't they question? Um, and again, something I'm un- unpacking in therapy. But um, there was this level of trust that I put in those those people. And as I got into high school, my pursuits of being this youth speaker were being noticed in the wider context of the faith community outside of my church. And there was a nonprofit organization who got wind of of Ben and what he was doing and um and they wanted to stand behind me and support me. And so the woman who was at the helm of this organization, I without without question or without thinking it through, I just immediately put my trust in her as somebody who has my best interests. And you know, um, there was a lot (laughs) that my gut was telling me even, even back then that this isn't right. Like slow down. Like this is not some, somebody you should be freely giving your trust to. Um, but I did. And that woman has caused significant amount of turmoil emotionally to me. I would say that she was um, spiritually abusive and um, couldn't tolerate certain ways of thinking and would try to do everything in her power to change my view of of, of things. Um, and what's really interesting is fast forward to after that shitty experience at the second church in Oregon, um, ultimately nine months later, my family ended up moving back to Michigan And, (laughs) you know, there's a a Bible verse that says something like, just as a dog returns to its vomit, I very much feel that's what happened here. I, again, put my trust in this woman who before I never had good gut feelings about, and I could tell that some of what she was doing was pretty off base and questionable, Um, but she just happened to have an open position at her nonprofit and like a dog returns to its vomit i just went right back there and that experience was debilitating as well um she made me think things about myself that were so untrue like um she would bring up like constantly how proud and boastful i was and i'm like looking back at that i was like what the hell are you talking about
0: Yeah, I know I don't know you super well, Ben, but, like, uh, boastful is not the first word that comes to mind. Right. But she put
1: her claws in deep, and I was in a very vulnerable, broken spot after leaving that last church. And it's almost as if she heard of me coming and was like... Uh, like a vulture or something going after roadkill, like she put her claws in so deep and took advantage of where I was at mentally and emotionally and spiritually, and it was disastrous, and you know it was my wife who pointed out to me, babe, this isn't right, uh that's not who you are. You can't tell me, you can't look me in the eye and tell me that those things she's saying about you are true and she was right. Uh, and to this day I'm, you know, there's a lot of toxicity and a lot of, um, you know, I put trust in people that I should never have entrusted so, so much to. Um, and I'm dealing with the fallout from that and it's a very painful and at the same time, life giving process of, you know, taking those claws out and seeking healing for the wounds that um that they caused
0: wow i mean there's a lot there I, I i gosh i want to address so much i'll i'll try to keep it simple though um i will say uh firstly that um it's interesting you bring up this like idea of it's almost like she didn't want you to trust yourself right
1: yeah it's precisely it because the human flesh is not to be trusted like that again that's just the mentality she operated with
0: yeah and i feel like that is like the epitome of like an evangelical trait is they don't want you to trust yourself They they want you to doubt your instincts and yes. like they'll use biblical language but in my opinion they they want to provide you with their program and your instincts might lead you away from their program, and that it's about control. And and frankly, you were talking about, um, I don't know, like like talking about gut feelings, you know, or uh, and I can't help but say, for my life, and this certainly does not have to apply to anyone else, but for my life, that gut feeling of not trust has been there with me in every time I went to church. Like, even as a kid, growing up, having very different worldviews the whole time. But even as my worldviews changed, uh, you know, I studied to be a pastor. You know, I, I was in leadership. I did a bunch of different stuff. And I still just did not trust Christians. You mentioned that earlier, too. And again, I think they the ball might be in their court. They might be the ones instigating, um, uh, instigating this whole trust issue because they don't want you to even trust your own thoughts. And what can you do if you can't even trust your own thoughts?
1: Exactly. You know, the whole Christian perspective, sorry, evangelical perspective that I was raised is I'm filthy through and through and I need the blood of Jesus to cover me because what, what I am is not enough. There is a lack. And anytime I rely on me or my strengths or my intuition or emotion or my viewpoint, anytime I lean into those things, the evangelical answer is, don't do that you can't trust yourself you're awful you're putrid and so much shame enters the picture from evangelical christianity because you're it's drilled into you that you are so unholy that this dude jesus had to go and basically commit suicide on a cross and it's because of his sacrifice that you can ever be right again and it's just It's just so wrong. Like, that's basically saying that what God created, if if you're going to hold to this viewpoint that you're created in God's image, what does that say about God that you can't trust the things that he created you with? You can't lean on your own understanding. You can't. um, It's like, it's so messed up. And that is just. Something that I'll never fully understand or comprehend is is that idea that we are just through and through bad as humans. Um, I just think it's so far off base. And yet that's the kind of hook that the evangelical church uses to get people to join them, you know, to join their weird worldview. And it's so damaging.
0: Yeah, and it's descended from you know Protestantism, which like got its influence from Calvinism. The the idea we're talking about is total depravity, right? Like that's the, yep, the yep. theological term. And um, it's funny because if you actually read Calvin, he's a lot less harsh than his followers uh, continued on. Um, but uh, but uh, I digress. It's funny that evangelicals don't only you know they instill this like um self doubt, and then. They also are very clear that they don't want you to trust anti-evangelicals. So, for example, evangelicals typically don't like me. And it makes sense um, (laughs) to find, like, you know, some disdain for a group or a person or an idea that opposes your worldviews. But I find it odd... That they avoid honest conversations with the other side that's the part that 's tricky for me because if you if your truth is god's truth, why can't you listen to the other side
1: exactly, oh my goodness, yes, that is precisely our entire mission as a podcast, the one that I host threads podcast life unfiltered, shameless plug um but that's our whole like. That's what we love doing is giving a voice to people who may not agree with us um, and being okay with that and not feeling a pressure in those conversations to, to push them to see the wor- world the way we see the world. Like, For example, having you on our show, I was admittedly a little bit nervous about it because I didn't want it to become a bash session on the church, but it wasn't you were you were very respectful of us and of our faith and we were very respectful of you and your experiences and your viewpoint and we not to boast but we really just wanted to hear your story and that's what's missing from from church and from christianity is there's an unwillingness to just sit and listen it's like they always have to be talking. They always have to be pontificating. And, um, and if they do listen, they're listening with one ear, but the rest of their brain is so focused on coming up with a reply or a retort as to why that perspective is wrong. And it's like you can't really genuinely be an evangelical and actually listen because you're so focused on why you're right and why the other person is wrong.
0: Man, it's so awesome that you brought up that point because uh, I don't know I don't know if you've listened to any of my previous episodes or anything, but I, I actually talked about this in the first one because that was one of the moments that kind of like it was a plot point in my story where I was like, I'm going to take a 180 and turn away from Christianity was when I realized I'm programmed, was when I realized someone was talking to me about a very tragic thing. And I was getting my replies ready. And I was like, wait a second, that's not me. That's just like what I think I'm supposed to say next. I'm like, that didn't come from me. That's not what I actually think. Like what is happening here? And that's kind of when I was like, "This, like that." I think that might have been the first moment where the word "cult" like kind of flashed across my brain, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And you know, again, yes, uh, it was an absolute pleasure being on your podcast. I will say, um, and yeah, I, I, you know, you've probably gotten the sense I'm not too big on um, church bashing, although I mean, maybe in private, you know, with <laughs> just joking around. But, um, but no, I, I don't. I don't really mind people being christians i will say i I tend to get along better with christians who don't go to church um the the christians who do i'm still a little wary of maybe my own trust issues but um you know and even when the terms are different like i'm not gonna lie like even earlier when you said life group like i kind of cringed inside a little bit you know
1: (laughs) oh so do i yeah
0: (laughs) just because it's one of those things where you're like well you know i mean it totally could be on the up and up like it totally could i don't have any evidence to say it's not you know but it's just it's one of those things where you just you know you're you uh have your own experiences and certain things um you know trigger different thoughts i think it's it's fascinating with um you know white evangelicalism they they do this thing where they're like okay now don't trust yourself you know don't trust anything that uh you know someone who wrote a book that says the cult of christianity says But then it's also like, but don't, the the craziest element is probably they don't want you to trust your own spiritual inclination. Like the oddest part of the cult of Christianity is that they are reluctant to listen to the layman's spiritual language. If yeah. anything that is not mainstream or orthodox is propagated, like great caution and judgment is applied by the leaders. And so this evangelical cult, to use my word, uh, teaches that, God communicates through their hierarchy. And if you venture on your own, you'll be a lost sheep. And I, I I honestly like I this is where it's such a hard line for me, where it's like, okay, this is the difference between a faith difference and y'all being a toxic cult, right? Because you and I, in talking, I can tell we could get a beer anytime, we would be fine, there would we would maybe butt heads if we got really into the weeds on something. But, like, in general, we're not going to butt heads because you have your worldview, I have mine, and we're fine with it. And it's not hurting each other. We're not, you're out to do good in the world. I'm out to do good in the world. We respect each other on that basic level. And we can do that. But when you have these churches that create these hierarchies that essentially um, claim to be the voice of God, that's just a hard Hmm. line for me that that's a cult instead um, instead of just a regular religion.
1: Right, and and again, I I keep bringing up the very formative toxic experience of my childhood, um, growing up in that charismatic church where people all the time just served as a mouthpiece for God. Like, who gave you that authority? Like, did God speak to you and tell you that you all of a sudden you're the appointed messenger? Like, I don't understand that. And what's really interesting about all of that is the sole reason my parents were even bringing me to the front of the church in the first place, they weren't doing that to get words of prophecy. No, my parents were desperate. I had a heart condition. Um, There was a hole in one of the valves of my heart that did not close in normal. uh, That's such a weird word, but in typical kids you know they're born and that hole it closes on its own very early in life but for whatever reason that didn't happen in my case and so um I'm a young kid being raised by parents who you know are working class finances are 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 tight and even the out of pocket cost for surgery even with insurance was a lot and so they were out of desperation bringing me to the front of this church to ask for a prayer of healing. Um, And I, you know, for as toxic and weird as my childhood was, I give my parents all the props in the world for doing that because that was outside of the normal um, Christian understanding that they had grown up in. And in fact, they got a lot of flack from their parents for shifting gears a little bit and going to a more charismatic Pentecostal church but they were desperate. They wanted, they wanted God to magically heal this hole. And whether God would do that, you know, is up for debate, but it's what they were wanting. Their intentions were good, but those intentions were co-opted. Now, I don't know what it was about me. If um, I just had the look of a pastor (laughs) as a seven-year-old kid, I don't know. But these men would come over to me and lay hands on me and like jump back and say weird things like this young man is going to be used mightily of God to reach young people. And like, what the fuck? Part of my language, but seriously, how is that? How can you say that's God doing that? Like the one thing that my parents wanted, you're denying them because you've got this hunch that this kid's going to do something great. Like that is so messed up on so many levels. And um, I, again, I think that's another reason why it's so hard for me to trust people of faith. It's like they, they take what they're given and they co-opt it and twist it to fit their bizarre narrative that they're trying to write for somebody's life. It's so toxic.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, way to bring it full circle, um, just with this idea of um, of having to trust um, people in spite of traumatic events. That's something we have to do as humans, but um, I do find it somewhat admirable. You're able to keep um, a lot of your orthodox beliefs uh, in spite of some of the church culture um, toxicity you've experienced. I certainly uh am much more reluctant to even say things like God exists even though I think I believe that, but I'm so reluctant to say it just because of um the experiences I've had. And uh I think it I think it's really admirable and I'm sure it's taken a lot of work. I did want to uh kind of wind up too by saying, you know, when we're talking when we're talking about trust issues, I think it's really important to focus on um the individual. And not assume that everyone who doesn't trust churches anymore doesn't trust Jesus anymore, whatever kind of language you want to use to not assume anything about them because it it could really it really could be um any amount of things um I definitely want to have you back on, Ben, to talk more about um kind of uh maybe more theological technical issues. I think that might be kind of interesting um just based on um you know probably our shared education in the field but probably different perspectives now but this has been absolutely wonderful talking about it and can i just say uh i was i don't know why i wasn't expecting this this you're just like this on your podcast with how vulnerable you are but thank you for um really uh stripping down so to speak and like being laying yourself bare and like um allowing me and listeners to just kind of uh look into your life in such a um Detailed way. It's that vulnerability is very valuable to me and I'm sure to others as well. You know,
1: one of the things that my therapist has said to me is there's a time and a place to be transparent and there's a time and a place to not be so transparent. So I think I've kind of been learning this balance between laying it all out there um, when appropriate. And I think in this context, you know, listeners of your podcast. Um, I think it's a a very safe space. So I would just want to say thank you for creating an environment where it's okay to be vulnerable and I don't have trust issues of, you know, your listener somehow, I don't know, hearing this dirt that I've laid out and then using it against me, like that's the least of my concerns. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge and a risk to be open and vulnerable but in my life experiences whether on the podcast or in relationships with others i've always found that being open and honest and vulnerable it just sparks growth in other people and the only reason that i'm this way is because there's there's been a line of people before me that have done similarly and i've been able to see and learn and grow based on their example so um you know, I don't take myself too seriously and and I'm totally fine just putting it all out there um, because hopefully it'll inspire others to do the same.
0: Well, it's greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, and uh, yeah, I do want to give you one last chance. I know we said it a few times, but go ahead and uh, plug your podcast for the people.
1: Yeah. So if you enjoyed this conversation, you will likely enjoy all the others to be found at threadspodcast.com. Threads Podcast Life Unfiltered is a show all about living life honestly, um, talking openly about challenging subjects. We have three main focus areas that we cover on the show. Uh, All three of them were definitely present in um, today's episode here, Uh, but those three buckets that we seek to fill are mental health, faith, and uncomfortable conversations. so on each episode, you can expect to hear content that fits one, two, or or even all three of those buckets. So again, it's Threads Podcast, Life Unfiltered. We get our name Threads from the concept that in life, there are far more things that tie us together, Threads, than there are things that separate us. So um, the name Threads is in honor of that fact that you know, there's a lot of collective experience that's woven into humanity that we can learn from by being vulnerable and by being willing to share our stories. And not just, you know, the um, the stuff we put on social media that we like to present ourselves as polished and put together. Um, you know, we want to be unfiltered. And that's where the whole life unfiltered part comes from. So check it out threadspodcast.com
0: yeah completely uh, endorsed by john verner uh i i'm a listener and it truly is uh truly is great and i don't i don't just say that flippantly cuz you're a guest I, I i truly do enjoy it thanks ben for coming on
1: yeah absolutely thank you for the opportunity
0: yeah absolutely and thank you listener and i'll talk to you all soon If you wish to learn more about what's going on in my life or wish to purchase my book, go to vernerbooks.com. If you'd like to support this podcast, please continue to listen, follow, share, and consider supporting through the link in the show's notes. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can help me book guests, upgrade my production value, and start exciting projects. Thank you for listening, and remember to keep love in your life, hope in your heart, and searching in your soul.